Welcome to Platypod, the official podcast of the Committee for the Anthropology of Science, Technology, and Computing. Here, we host dialogues and conversations about the theories, tools, and social interactions that explore questions at the intersection of anthropology and science and technology studies. This bonus content is a reading from Platypus, the Castac blog. Enjoy! How to Imagine the Unknown Choosing an Arm Prosthesis by Gabrielle Hanley Mott. When amputation happens, it is an unavoidable event. After the surgery, the person learns how to be an amputee. They learn to conceptualize their altered body. This work belongs to the inner world of the amputee, their bodily experience, and to the attitudes and environment around them. Many amputees will adopt a prosthesis. However, the journey of choosing, training on, and incorporating a prosthesis into one's practice and identity requires the amputee to imagine future bodily experiences and knowledge. Much of this imagining happens in unfamiliar and mediated settings, in doctor's offices that are also high-tech device shops, or in meetings with other prosthesis users. In 2017, during my dissertation work with American civilian amputees, I interviewed Tina, a petite, above-elbow amputee in her 50s. Tina lost her non-dominant arm in a boating accident. When Tina was in the process of acquiring and training for her first device, her prosthetic clinic facilitated a meeting with another amputee and prosthesis user. This would be a psychological turning point for Tina, who, quote, I was worried when I was going to meet another amputated person. And when I met her and she came in and she is pretty and her hook is bedazzled and I thought, okay, I can do this. She was like, she gave me, like it just wasn't the end of the world when I saw how she handled it. Because at first it felt like the end of the world. I had people telling me you aren't going to be able to do this or you aren't going to be able to do that. It felt like I was going to have to not do anything anymore. And when I saw Lisa, I knew that wasn't true. Here we see that a prosthesis on another person creates an image of competence and confidence. Meeting another amputee is a source of worry and concern, but meeting a bejeweled prosthesis user creates new positive and enabling feelings for Tina about her future. During my research process, I learned that the role of prosthesis wearer is difficult to navigate because it requires the input of multiple other actors to obtain and understand the device. A prosthesis is chosen in concert with one's prosthetist and one's insurance. One learns to use the prosthesis first by training with myoelectric sensors at a prosthetic clinic. As for example, for upper extremity amputees, the process is usually done with a disembodied forearm that is fixed to a table with the amputee then being hooked up to sensors. The patient practices stimulating the muscles and nerves in the residual limb to make this arm move or to make the hand or hook open or close. Later, after the prosthesis is approved by insurance, made and delivered, the amputee works one-on-one -on -one with an occupational therapist to further train with the limb and the myoelectric sensors in order to learn the new bodily geometry that the prosthesis imposes. The knowledge of how it feels to use a prosthesis 
cannot be embodied by the individual until an expensive and permanent decision has already been made, until they already own a prosthesis. Instead, the amputee is asked to imagine the abilities and purpose of a prosthesis. This act of imagining can be powerfully effective, as when Tina sees Lisa, she sees Lisa with her prosthetic as pretty, confident, and capable. It is Lisa's presence, Lisa as a model of what Tina's future could look like, that encourages Tina to see both her amputation and the wearing of a device as a possible and positive future. Tina's journey to obtaining her first prosthesis is filled with multiple fittings, doctor's appointments, training for almost a year in the clinic for how to use the myoelectric sensors, and surgeries to reshape the residual limb, residual limb. However, an important cause of anxiety for her was how to choose a prosthetic and which one to choose. According to her, during one appointment, her doctor gave her a prosthetics catalog to look through, which she found useless. Without being able to see how someone would use different types of hooks or someone to explain how two myoelectric elbows were different, that catalog was just a bewildering list with pictures. This question of what do you want came up multiple times throughout her interactions in prosthetic clinics and with physical and occupational therapists. At one point she responded, I mean, I got really confused when they asked me, what do you want? I have no idea. I never thought I would have an amputation for one thing, and I still have no clue what I need. Ultimately, after being asked multiple times what she wanted, and even after meeting with Lisa, Tina's first prosthesis was chosen for her by her prosthetist. As a medical anthropologist researching prosthetic technologies and their users, Tina's continuing bewilderment about how to answer the question of what she wants does not seem out of place. Firstly, a prosthetic with myoelectric components can cost anywhere between 20,000 and 120,000 American dollars. And a good insurance policy will cover 80% of the cost, leaving the future user to cover the remaining 20%. With these costs in mind, the pressure to make the right decision when choosing a prosthesis is overwhelming for many amputees because you only have one chance to receive an affordable option. Additionally, insurance companies almost always reject prosthetic claims the first time around, thereby considerably lengthening the amount of time before someone receives their prosthesis. Getting insurance approval for a second limb or an additional attachment only increases in difficulty. Second, the question of want is asked in a medical environment. It is filled with doctors and specialists in white coats and scrubs, and front office people who take your health insurance card. And it is a shopping space. This location is where one is habitually diagnosed by an expert in a doctor-patient relationship. But in this process, it becomes a site where the patient is asked to choose unfamiliar objects as a consumer. Being asked to act like a consumer in a space that is visually and habitually coded as medical generates confusion in the amputee. Due to the inequality of status between doctor and patient, I think asking amputees to have desires and state the different device components that they want is in tension with dictating a want to a medical professional 
who can also recommend a surgery to reshape a bone or rearrange nerves. In addition, as I observed in my fieldwork, choosing prosthetic components can be difficult, particularly in the USA Global North context in which high-tech prostheses are more common, meaning that amputees are more likely to wear prosthetic models with at least one myoelectric component. For example, an above elbow amputee has to select an elbow, a forearm, a wrist, and then a terminal device. All of these choices lead to more choices. Should the elbow be body powered with cables and a harness or myoelectric? Should the forearm be made of carbon fiber, carbon fiber and look cyborg-like or have a skin colored silicone glove? Do you choose a hand or a hook? Which model of hand, which type of hook? The array of options is a lot to take in. These choices are also difficult because the doctors usually ask the patient consumer to imagine the implications, proportions, and weight of these devices, largely through promotional YouTube videos or printed catalogs. When Tina first met Lisa, she remembers that, quote, she brought a bag of arms with her and I had no idea that there were so many attachments. It's like a vacuum cleaner. It was almost shocking when she started pulling out different attachments for her arm." End quote. Lisa, by the way, was not a random amputee chosen for Tina to meet. She was the clinic's parent company, chief of patient experience. She was a lifelong below elbow prosthesis user and is a prosthetic influencer of sorts. She doesn't pay for the many limbs that she owns. She is a tester. Her collection of limbs is provided by the company. While Lisa's presence brought about a significant psychological shift in Tina and helped her to imagine a more enabled future, there were some questions Lisa couldn't help with. Most significantly, Lisa's below elbow prosthesis weighed significantly less than a prosthetic limb with an elbow component. This difference in weight and appearance contributes to much higher rates of prosthetic rejection among women above elbow amputees. 80% of women with an above elbow amputation reject prostheses, while men with comparable levels of amputation reject prostheses at a rate of only 15%. While Tina was mostly pleased with her first prosthesis in that it helped her to do more daily life tasks and it helped her to, quote, feel less disabled, there were several things that she wanted to do differently as she was planning her next prosthesis. Even after receiving her first prosthesis, she expressed frustration with the process of figuring out how to know what to want. And she placed great emphasis on wanting to be more involved in deciding what she would receive this time. While she found it difficult to answer questions of want in a clinical healthcare space, she expressed a clear desire for a modeled experience that offered embodied information. When I asked her what would have been helpful to her when she was choosing the first time around, as she was going into her second round, she said, I think more peer mentoring would have been helpful. I would have loved to have met someone with an above elbow amputation, you know, the same as me. So I could have pictured how the prosthesis arm was going to fit me and how I was going to work it. Because when I got my prosthesis, they told me how to use it, but I had never seen anyone using one before so I had no clue what to do. What persists for Tina is the question of how to imagine 
embodying a new device? What information is necessary to imagine a new unknown future? Thanks for tuning in. If you have any comments and feedback, feel free to share them with us on the blog. You can find the link to the post in the description of the episode.